Hey mamas, welcome to her Home and Heart podcast. Do you want balance in your home life and peace in your heart at the end of each long day? Do you want to let go of feelings of failure because you've yelled at the kids again despite promising yourself and God you'd stop? I'm Katie. I'm a homeschooling mom who also had little kids and wanted to create a thriving home environment. In this podcast, you'll find resources for holistic living, heart connection with your family, and homeschooling so that you won't wake up to regret one day. Even if you have outside-the-box learners or your own health challenges, you'll find support here. Breathe deeply, grab a coffee, and let the kids go play, because it's time for you to find peace and fulfillment that you've been longing for. Let's go! Welcome, everybody. This week, we are so pleased to introduce you to Ann Garcia. She also goes by the College Financial Lady, and she has helped thousands of families save millions of dollars on college. She is a fee-only certified financial planner, and she's a managing partner of Independent Progressive Advisors. Anne specializes in helping families balance the desire to support their children's dreams with the reality of funding their own lives. Her book, How to Pay for College, is available from bookstores everywhere, and it has a companion online course as well. So Anne, we're really, really delighted to have you here because many of our, you know, families who listen and tune in are actually, you know, figuring they'll send their kids to college. So um, we're really thrilled you can share your wisdom. So how did you get interested in this? Oh, you know, it's, um, it goes, it goes back a, a while when I was starting out as an advisor, one of our clients came in one day asking questions about college and I was brand new. And my boss is like, I don't know anything about this. Can you figure this out? And so I thought, oh, you know, that can be my thing that I know as an advisor. And at the time my kids were in, they were just getting started in middle school. And I thought, you know what, I need to know this for myself anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'll look into it. And I just felt like it was something that was going to be important for me, both personally and professionally. So I started learning more. And then, and then a couple of years later, I made a new year's resolution of writing a blog. And I decided since I kept getting the same questions over and over and over again from clients that I would just write down the answers to all those questions that I kept getting and have it be a blog. And so the college financial lady was born (laughs) and that's fantastic. I love that. So that's cool. So if we fast forward a little bit, what is it that you would say is the core of your business now and your expertise? A couple of things. I mean, as a financial planner, I work with families, you know, on all of their financial, on all of their financial goals. But I really felt like college planning was an underserved area in, in our profession. You know, people tend to say, advisors tend to be very focused on, on retirement planning and much less so on, on college. I feel like it's hard to have a productive planning discussion with a family with children, if you're not going to talk about how they're going to fund college, because honestly, for a lot of families, that's a bigger question than how they're going to fund their retirement. You know, college is right in front of them. It's very immediate. It's very stressful. And so being able to develop a plan, work with them, figure out how to layer the elements of the financial planning process, you know, the saving and spending from cash flow and student loans and tax credits and scholarships and all the different pieces, you know, being able to layer those all together so that they have a really good sense of what's possible and affordable for their family. And then I like to say planning for college is equal parts financial planning and parenting, (laughs) because I think most of us are not interested in um, spending $80,000 a year for college. And so, part of the parenting process of of all of that is, is guiding your child to 
good college choices that are, you know, academic and social fits, but also financial fits for you and your family, because the person who bears the brunt of a bad college decision is oftentimes the kid and, and 16, 17, 18 year olds aren't terribly realistic about what it means to borrow 20, 30, $40,000 to pay for their college and then have to pay it all back once they, once they graduate. Right. And these days it seems like it's getting to be more and more and more. And, you know, we know people who have more than hundred thousand dollars in debt and are paying it off into their late thirties, not having understood what they were doing. And, you know, I think this topic is relevant for any parent, but when you look at families who have multiple children, it's extra important that there be Mm -hmm. a lot more thought put into it as well, because you're going to have to stretch the finances a lot farther and the kids are at higher risk of having to take out more loans. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, people have said for a long time, you know, save for retirement, not for college because there's loans for college and not for retirement. I think that's how we have almost $2 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. (laughs) Yes. You need to save for retirement, but college is too big of an expense for people to just come out with the money out of pocket and, and the amount of borrowing that um, that's required is just, if you, if you haven't done any saving is, is just, just off the charts. Yeah, absolutely. So for parents who have kids in the younger age bracket, who are thinking about this, or maybe haven't had to think about it yet. And they're hearing us talk and they're thinking, Oh my goodness, you know, we really should think about that. Where would they want to start? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I, I think the sooner you start, the more choices you have, the more you save, the more choices that you have. So it's never too late, but it really, really, really is never too early. I think what's hard for young, for parents of young kids in particular, is that so much of your life is in triage mode and college isn't in triage mode. (laughs) Um, And so that's why it's important to spend half an hour (laughs) right now setting up a 529 and setting up an automatic contribution to it if if you don't already have one you know even if you only save very small amounts you know maybe it's five or ten dollars a month which is the typical minimum for a 529 college savings plan over time those dollars are going to add up and the earlier you start the more work your money does the later you start the more work you do right because you have the power of compounding working in your favor for longer periods of time. So, so for young parents, just, just taking that first step of setting up a 529 and getting started saving is a really great, is a really great step that, that you can take. I would say, you know, there's always that balance, right? What, you know, what goes into retirement versus what goes into college. And so my rule of thumb is if you don't have an emergency savings, that's the first place that you need to save. If you have an emergency savings and you don't have retirement savings, then start retirement savings first. If you're not maxing out retirement savings, which is $20,500 a year in your 401k or $6,000 a year in your IRA, if you're under 50, it's a little more than that if you're over. But if you're not maxing out retirement, then I think you should limit your college savings to 10% of what you're saving for retirement. Okay. Once you're maxing out retirement, then you have more flexibility, but that's probably not happening for most families in those early years of parenting. So, you know, if you're saving $5,000 a year for retirement, then $500 a year is what you can do for college. And if you want to save more for college, start by increasing your retirement savings and then, you know, work the two up together. But doing that gradually lets you build up your savings and lets you increase your savings rate without it feeling super 
painful right from the get-go. I would say another reason why saving is important, there's been a lot of research done on um, students who have and don't have savings. But one thing that was one thing that is true is that students who have any amount of college savings when they graduate from high school enroll a college, enroll in college and graduate at higher rates than those who don't. And of course there's chicken and egg in that, right? Because <laughs> of course if you if parents are setting aside money for college, they're probably talking about college with their children and they're probably creating that expectation that that is the next step for them and supporting them as they go on their journey. Nonetheless, even, you know, first generation students who come from families who don't have college in their background, who have even very small amounts of savings available to them are enrolling and graduating at, at, at higher rates than those, than those who don't. That's really good information. So with that $500 a month, let's say that's the amount that the parent needs to set aside. Would that be per child? Um, so, so per year, I would say, you know, it's for the, it's for the household as a whole. And so, so, you know, again, if you want to save more for college, save more for retirement too. So, you know, if you can even, and, and even increasing that in very small amounts, you can probably do that without feeling a, a really big impact on, on your budget each year. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I know a lot of the families that listen do have more than one kid. So that's very helpful <laughs> for their planning. Well, here's the other thing. When your kids are young, you might be, you know, one spouse just stopped working. So you're to take care of the kids. So your incomes are down or you're paying for childcare, which is super expensive. So you will have opportunities over the course of your lifetime to increase your, your savings rate. What's important when your kids are young is that you get started. Mm. Okay. That's very encouraging. That's very encouraging. Now, a couple of questions about 529 is, are they tied to the performance of the stock market or is it somehow just completely different from that? Because for whatever reason, it comes to mind that a lot of things that people invest in are tied to the performance of the stock market. Is the 529 that way? Yeah. So 529s are a lot like 401ks in that, you know, your 401k at work has a specific investment menu, a set of funds that you can invest in, um, which are, you know, some are stock funds, some are bond funds. You know, sometimes there's like a guaranteed fund that pays a a low rate of return. That's um, that's lower risk, but, you know, largely you are choosing from the, you know, from the universe of, of available investments. So 529s, your typical plan and every state has a plan that they run. So these are, these are dedicated college savings plans that are, um, that are run by the states. You can contribute to any state's plan that you want. Many states offer tax benefits to their residents for participating in the plan. In the, plan. the really nice thing with a 529 plan is that as long as you use the account for qualified higher education expenses, and there's a pretty long list of things that fall under that heading, as long as you use that, the growth that you get in the account over your child's lifetime is, um, is tax-free. So it's a much better deal than saving in a taxable account. You know, you you do invest in market type investments. You know, most of the funds that you choose from your typical 529 will have things like age-based or enrollment date funds that are very similar to the target date funds that you find in your 401k at, at work, you know, where they will gradually shift from more aggressive to more conservative as your child gets closer and closer to college so that you're not taking on as much risk when, when you're getting close to, to needing those funds. There are, there's another set of um, 529 plans called prepaid tuition plans. 
And the way that prepaid tuition plans work, they're separate from the stock market. Um, they will track the rate of tuition increases at a certain set of schools. And you get that rate of tuition, you get that rate of increase in your account, regardless of what the stock market does. So basically the investment manager is saying, we think we can outperform tuition increases and we will guarantee that to you, you know, over a longer period of time. This has been a great bet for parents the last year, <laughs> you know, where the stock market has been as, as horrible as it, as it has been. And um, the thing with prepaid tuition plans is they are limited. So your typical state run 529 college savings plan, you can use it for at any college, anywhere that you can take out a, a student loan. You can use it for things like um, K-12 education expenses um, for private school. You can use it for community colleges. You can use it for some gap year programs. And most importantly, when you're in college, you can use it for tuition, fees, room and board, and books. Wow. That's good. A prepaid tuition plan, on the other hand, is only for college tuition. And typically what will happen, there are several states that have a prepaid tuition plan as one of their investment choices. Um, and you'll get the, and, and those tend to only be open to people who live in that state. And you'll get the tuition increase that the state schools experience. There's another prepaid tuition plan called the Private College 529. And that's a consortium of about 200 private colleges. And you can invest in their plan. And as long as you end up going to one of their colleges, you get that college's tuition growth rate. If not, you, you, know, you roll it out to another 529 and you get a much lower rate of return. Okay. So that may have been... Way too far into the weeds. You know, people from across the country need to have a, Mm -hmm. a, let's say a broad menu of things that they can choose from. They need to know about those. So nothing else. It's a great conversation Mm -hmm. starter for them Mm -hmm. with their planners. Uh, One more question though, before she switches the subject on me here (laughs) for five, two nines, can you start those before you even have kids? Mm. So Great question. Yes, you can. Um, And if you want to start a 529 before you have kids, you can just name. So every 529 has an account owner and an account beneficiary. So typically the parent is the account owner and the child is the account beneficiary. If you open it up before you have children, the parent can be both the owner and the beneficiary. And then you just change the beneficiary from yourself to your child once your child is born. There can be pros and cons of doing that. I mean, generally speaking, most people have more money before they have kids. So (laughs) that can be a great time to get started. There are some states like here in Oregon, the state will contribute to your 529 if you open it within the year after your child is born. So if you had already opened a 529 and just renamed yourself, you renamed your child as the beneficiary, you wouldn't get that, that free money. Okay. And I'm pretty sure we're not the only state that, that does that. We're not creative like that. <laughs> so that leads me to another question. What if a child decides they aren't interested in a formal style of education after high school, but you have a 529 for them? Can you then, because you mentioned transferring the beneficiary, put it into a different sibling's name? Yeah, absolutely. 529s are really, really flexible. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I'm not sure if all my kids are going to go to college, so I shouldn't, so I shouldn't do it. 
I, I really think if you have any thought that anyone in your family is going to college, a 529 is a really good, a really good thing to do. Um, you can change the beneficiary to anyone who's related to that child. So it could go to other siblings. It could go to parents. It could go to, you know, you could hang on to it and, and use it for their children. There's extra money in it. And, you know, worst case, I, I had one client who, whose son ended up not going to college and he just got a job and he really needed a car. And so they just took the money out of his 529 and he paid the taxes and penalties on it. It was distributed to him. He was just starting a job. So he didn't have a lot of income. His tax rate was really low and he was really happy to have $5,000 to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we heard of another family who they had leftover money in their 529 and the dad found a college that had a PGA tour golf course that they were offering. So he changed himself to the beneficiary and used the kids 529 to take golf lessons. (laughs) That's cool. How fun. There's a strong selling point there. So, you know, if you don't lose, use it, it's not lost. Right. 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 You can pick up just about anything (laughs) if you, if you investigate a little bit. Yeah. And they're very flexible. I mean, any 529 with the, you know, with the limitations that I said about prepaid tuition plans, any 529 can be used at any college. And a lot of people say, well, I'm not sure if my kid's going to go to college in my state. So I don't know if I want my state's plan. You do want your state's plan for the most part. So they're, they're very, very flexible. You can use them for community college tuition. You can use them for apprenticeship programs. You can use them for K-12 education. If you're in a private school, you know, you can use them for dual credit high school classes. Wow. That's fantastic. Hey, mamas, have you been feeling a sense of overwhelm with your homeschool and life, knowing you need to get clarity so you can find your joy again, but you just can't slow down long enough to do it? Maybe you worry you wouldn't know what to change if you did. Do you wish there was a way to find peace in your homeschool and home life where you don't feel overwhelmed or worried that you're failing your kids in their education and where you aren't worried anymore about waking up one day filled with regret? Imagine if you had the tools to actually live the kind of homeschooling life you have dreamed of, filled with close relationships, peace in your heart, and no more worries that you'll have regret in the future. That's why I created my successful homeschool strategy sessions, where we work together to customize your homeschool to create a peaceful, happy, joyous home and environment for school. You will walk away with an understanding of what makes a homeschool succeed and a basic roadmap for the first steps to overcome your largest homeschooling challenge. So if you're ready for more peace and more joy in your homeschool, I've got you covered. I'd love to support you and mentor you into a place of peace and joy and into a homeschool life that you love. As a celebration of our podcast relaunch, I am offering one-on-one coaching spots at a discount where we will make a step-by-step plan just for you to get you on the right path to success at home. Because school has just begun and the holidays are not far from now, I will be offering 33% off for the month of November and December so you can invite peace and joy into your home before the holidays hit. And with a discount, you'll have a little extra cash left over to go get something special just for you, Mama. There aren't many spots each week since I still homeschool and run my family like you do. So I invite you to grab a spot if you'd like to kickstart your family on the path to peace before the discount spots are gone. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I'm looking forward to having a coffee together with you and getting you on the path to peace and homeschooling joy. So this is really helpful because for the younger families, 
and even families who might just be hearing about this for the first time, but whose kids are only partway through school. I mean, it doesn't take a lot every year, but as long as you get started, it will compound and it's really flexible. And then if your kids don't use it, you're not, you're not at a loss. You can still transfer it to yourself or just take it out. So that's really helpful information. Yeah. Now, if you do take it out for yourself, not for education expenses, you do pay taxes on the growth in the account and then a 10% penalty on, on, on that growth. Not the end of the world, especially because the person who pays the taxes is the person who receives the distribution. So, you know, if you, like with, like with my client, whose son was just getting started, he was in a very low tax rate. It cost him very little to take that money out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's really good. Okay, can I switch the subject? You, you probably should. I have Apparently, always... we found a deep hole here. We can just keep going down further and further. <laughs> so good. That was such great information. So let's say that we're talking to the mom and dad who have this new little baby and they've never had this conversation before. So what would you suggest to help them kind of get on the same page so that they can, can work through maybe one of them never thought about it and the other one always thought about it. Like where would a couple begin the conversation to start making these plans? Finances can often be a struggle in marriage. Yeah. That's such a, such a great question. And it's, yeah, like any big, like any big financial issue, um, you know, it can, it can be stressful in, in your marriage. I think it's really, really helpful for parents to talk between themselves about what, you know, what, what their intentions are, what their goals are, what their plans are for as far as education goes for their, for their children. And it's not just college, you know, you have parents who one feels really strongly about private schools and the other feels really strongly about homeschooling and another, you know, others feel very strongly about public schools. So, so there are tons and tons of um, conversations that you can have about education. One thing that I really encourage parents to do who have both gone to college and love their own alma mater is um, every college is required to have a tool called a net price calculator on its website. And when you, you can punch all of your financial information into that calculator and it'll give you an estimate of what it would cost your student to go to that college. So I know for my husband and me, that was really enlightening. We instantly stopped buying gear from our alma maters for our kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really and good totally tip. changed <laughs> the you conversation around that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you know, and that wasn't there when we were going through school. So that's really good information in this, you know, much more technological age that parents can just do that. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, there's been this, there was this unfortunate, you know, explosion of college costs, explosion of student loan debt, explosion of savings. And, you know, slowly we were starting to get our arms around that and say, how can we sort of head that off at the pass and, and give people the information that they need upfront so they can make good financial decisions around college. Yeah, absolutely. So once the parents get on the same page, how have you helped or guided parents through the idea of talking to their kid about this? Have you had any interactions with families in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as with all planning, the earlier you start, the more of an opportunity that you have to, to frame the conversation, shape the choices and whatnot. So talking amongst yourselves and with your kids about college is, is really something that's appropriate at any age. And I don't mean like, oh, this is the preschool you want to go to so you can get into Harvard. I mean, things like, you know, when your kids are young, if college is something important to you, talk about things that are relevant to them 
that show its importance to you. You know, maybe you two met in college, you know, <laughs> hey, we met. I wouldn't have met your dad if we hadn't gone to college together. Or my friend, I remember her telling her kids we were, we were doing something, there was a thunderstorm and she's like, you know, I didn't know why there were thunderstorms until I took a meteorology class in college. And it was so interesting because I learned about this, that, and the other, or, you know, take them to see a college sports event or, you know, anything like that, but just bring, bring up the concept of college in an age appropriate way, in a way that makes it something that's interesting to them, because it's something that's interesting and important part of you, you know, maybe, Hey, we're going to go visit my friend, Kelly, Kelly and I met in college. Mm -hmm. and we're going to go to a football game together while we're there. So I think that's all very appropriate for young kids talking about college costs, talking about grades, test scores, any other stuff, very much not, not the case. (laughs) I think as, you know, as kids get older, opportunities arise to start bringing the notion of cost into, into the conversation. So um, for example, when my kids were in middle school, every year they did a field trip to a local college. And so one was a private school, actually two were private schools. One was a public school. And so it was really interesting to have conversations about how different those environments were and how, you know, one is supported by our tax dollars and the others aren't. And so, and so there's different costs, you know, you'll see your kids, your kids, friends, siblings will start going to college and you can start having those conversations about going far away versus being close to home. And, um, and that's always an opinion that changes a lot over the course of a kid's lifetime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So when we were talking before, we, we touched on the idea that there's this cultural message that, you know, everything needs to be better and faster and bigger and harder. And I really uh, liked your perspective on that. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there are so many good paths available to kids. One of the lessons I had with my own kids, I have twins who are seniors in college this year, which is horrifying in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, a big learning for us. So my, my, my two are very different academically. My daughter was a, we called her a D one mathlete. She was just, you know, loved school, loved all the challenges and rigor. My son was what I would call a normal kid, a, a smart kid, but was interested in playing sports, having a job, having a girlfriend, you know, kind of doing all the other kinds of things, everything from our high school. And I don't say this as a knock on my high school, because I think most high schools are like this, but it was like, oh, we want you to all try IB classes, you know, better, faster, stronger. You tested into this class. So you should take this. um, So you should take this class. And, and that was the path that both of my kids went down. My daughter absolutely thrived in that environment. And my son was miserable. I mean, literally crying over his homework every regular multiple times, um, multiple times a week. He did not have a very good, um, GPA in high school. And it was frustrating because he was a smart kid who was a very unsuccessful student. And I wish if I could go back in time and tell my, my four years ago self or my eight years ago self, this a big shocker for us when we went to apply to colleges was that a lot of colleges award scholarships on the basis of unweighted GPA, Hmm. not weighted GPA. So had we encouraged him to pursue an academic path that was more appropriate for him, he would have gotten $12,000 more every year in scholarships by having a better GPA. 
Now we're fortunate that he got lots of good scholarships because mm-hmm. he was a good test taker, but, um, but, you know, not only would we have saved tons and tons of money on college, but um, we would have saved the frustration and the tearful, the tearful son on, on an ongoing basis. And, you know, the funny thing for him is, you know, he didn't do very well in high school. He's knocking it out of the park in college. You know, he's got a four Oh through into it, going into his fourth year of college. You know, he's studying finance. He interned for a fortune 500 company over the summer in their finance department. And I still remember sometime fall semester of his freshman year of college, we were talking and he said, you know, mom, I must've gone to the hardest high school of anyone I know, because I thought high school was hard and I think college is easy. And my friends all thought high school was easy and they think college is hard and I'm getting better grades than them. And And so on the one hand, it was super gratifying to hear that he's found his place and he's being, he's happy and successful and all those. But on the other hand, you know, we could have saved ourselves a lot of grief and heartache by, by recognizing early on that that wasn't necessarily the best, the best path for him. Yeah. I, I'm so thankful for your perspective on that because it's something that I'm very passionate about, especially because our children have had a lot of various challenges and gifts. And so we've had to, with each child, just like what you recognized with your son, each child needs to be uniquely, you know, respected, I think is the the right way to say it. They each need to be allowed their own path and to discuss directly with them how they're feeling and what their giftings and interests are. And I think that kind of can get lost in that pressure that we have from the culture for our children to be the one that's, you know, got the bumper sticker on the back of the car and, you know, the one you can brag about to your friends. And that's not really fair to the child. And like you said, he could have gotten more scholarships for just being himself <laughs> and authentically being his best self in, in high school. And um, I just, I love that story. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that's one of those hard balancing acts of parenting, right? You know, on the one hand, you do want to push your child and you do want not everything to be easy for them. But on the other hand, I do think it's important for them to succeed, to succeed sometimes. Absolutely. Yes. And just and so a pro tip I would give is look at your state's public colleges, scholarship websites and see what their criteria are for awarding scholarships. Is it weighted or unweighted GPAs? Do they care about tests? Any of those things and and plan accordingly. I mean, if you're gonna apply to the Ivy Leagues, then a full AP schedule, full IB diploma, that's table stakes in the admissions games. But for the vast majority of students, really those classes are great for the areas that they're really passionate about and not necessarily needed for everything else. Yes. The A in credit recovery math was more important than the D in college calculus that he took his junior year. Yep. I love that. I just think that's such a valuable perspective from somebody who, you know, has actually seen this happen in action. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. One of those, I did it so you don't have to. Before we continue with today's chat, I want to sincerely invite you to come over to Facebook and join our group and our community. I would love to carry a conversation with you over there and interact with you and have you get to know the other beautiful families that are inside of our private community. 
go to the description, you'll see a link at the very bottom where you can easily click and go ahead and join our group. I look forward to seeing you inside. Yeah, so how about for someone who may consider starting off with a community college or something like that? Is is there any uh, particular strategy that would be associated with that or is it all the same because you're you're saving money for college whether it's community college or um, or otherwise yeah. yeah that's a great question and I'm glad you brought it up so there there are so many really really good pathways through college for people and I mean we as adults all know plenty of people who have pursued all these different pathways through college or even, not through college and and have gone on to um, to very successful lives and so we should not forget that when we talk about what we want for our for our own kids community college can be a great a great path the thing that's really important when you um, when you go that path is to make sure that you are meeting regularly with a guidance counselor so that you're taking the classes that you need to get the credits that you need to transfer in and then complete your degree in two years at a four-year college. So there's a huge drop-off rate of community college students, something like I don't know, something like three quarters of community college students go in with the intention of transferring to a four-year college and less than a third actually end up doing that. So, so there's definitely a role for parents in there of coaching and managing and, um, and making sure that the student stays on track to meet that goal of, of going to a four-year college. The other thing that happens with a lot of community college transfers is not all two years of college not all two years of community college credits transfer over to the four-year school. And so then you're still going, you've still got three years left to go to get your, you know, to get your degree. And oftentimes there are more scholarships available to incoming freshmen at colleges than to transfer students. And so don't rule out the possibility of going to a four-year college. The other thing that that a lot of states have that's a really terrific program for kids who want to start in community college is what's typically called dual enrollment. And in a dual enrollment program, the student is enrolled at both the community college and the four-year college. And so they take the first two years, they take all their classes at the community college, and then they automatically are enrolled as a junior in um, in the four-year college. One of the really nice things about those programs is the student can participate in the student life at the four-year college for all four years. So it's not like you're a community college student and then you're a four-year college student. It's you're a student of the college. You just happen to be taking your classes here for a while. And in states that offer free community college, you can often use free community college with dual enrollment. So basically you have two tuition-free years and then two years at the college. And because the programs are integrated, they're really making sure that the students are getting the credits that they need and taking classes that will all transfer over towards um, and count towards their major. So if they don't have that set up for the, let's say you're taking the dual enrollment, Mm -hmm. you're going to a local community college because you're getting credit at the four-year university. Which of the two's tuition are you paying? Mm -hmm. The four-year that way, you know, it transfers or is it somehow you're paying the community magic? college, you're paying the community college tuition. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if and that's so, where you're taking but your it, classes. But you okay. know that it will transfer to the college that uh, you plan to go to after community college. Exactly. Okay. Beautiful. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Usually those are programs that involve 
a community college and a, and a, a state public college. And, and oftentimes they're programs where the, the two are in close proximity to each other so that, you know, so that students can, can do both. But if you're gonna go the community college route, my, my, my guidance is always just make sure that any four-year college that you might transfer to, that you're, you know, you're, you're looking to what their enrollment requirements are, you know, meeting with admissions people, making sure that you're staying on track for that so that it is really a two-year and two-year, not a two-year and three-year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we, we did want to hit on one more thing that, uh, that we learned about when we were talking to you the first time uh, regarding scholarships around video games. And and what is going on with that? Because that was a shocker to Katie and I when we heard about that. Right. So my my son is living every teen boy's dream. He's playing on a varsity esports team in college. And this year he got a scholarship. Um, so a lot of colleges have esports programs, which esports actually means video games. <laughs> Although <laughs> Although he told me that when they have practice, they actually do exercise at their practice too, because they have so much time that they spend, that they spend sitting. Okay. So yeah, he plays video games competitively for his college. They have uniforms, they have practices, and they have scholarships. How about that? It's amazing. I mean, that literally is so many kids dream come true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think the colleges like it for a couple of reasons. One is it draws a lot of STEM majors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my son is the only non-STEM major on on his team. Um, And the other is that the teams are co-ed. And so there aren't a whole lot of co-ed you know, regular sports. So esports, you know, esports tend to be co-ed and he's had a great time with it. I mean, he goes to, he goes to University of Arizona and last year, all four Arizona schools had a state championship where they played. I want to say it was in the, it was on the basketball court at either like Grand Canyon University or Arizona state. I can't remember which one. And they had, you know, fans in the stadium and announcers. (laughs) That's amazing. They did not get a team bus to take them up. They had to drive themselves. (laughs) No team bus. Well, I think that it's a pretty good deal anyway. (laughs) It's not too bad. Yeah, I think it's it's not too bad. The best scholarship I've ever heard of. So I don't know if they had one that was like food tasting. Yeah, we're going to have you on scholarship to be on our food critic team or something. (laughs) I'd be down with that one. Yeah. Yeah, Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned food. I mean, a lot of colleges have all these like secret ways to find extra money. And so one of the things my son learned at his college, because when we got his original, when we got his two financial aid offers from the two schools that he applied to, he applied to Oregon and Arizona. It looked like Arizona was going to cost a lot more than Oregon. And he really, really wanted to go there. And we're like, we're not paying 7,000 extra dollars a year for good, for good weather. I think I tried to say it nicer than that, and it probably didn't come out any nicer than that. But that <laughs> um, so he, so so he really, really wanted to go, and so we said, you know, if you can figure out how to close that gap, you know, then we'll then we'll have a conversation about it. And he went down to Arizona and found out, you know, number one, Arizona had quoted a much higher housing and meal plan cost than had Oregon, and so that changed it by about. right right away. But one of the things he found was 
at the time, if you worked in the dining halls, they had a shortage of, of student employees in the dining halls. So you got a discount on your meal plan if you worked in the dining halls. And, you know, he found out that across the university, they had a shortage of male RAs. And those are, you know, students who have a leadership role in, in the dorm, you know, helping out with other issues. And he realized, you know, he found that something like four out of five men who applied for RA positions got hired. So he's like, I could do that one year, you know? So, so there are lots and lots of ways to find money at, you know, at colleges, you know, besides just what's in your, what's in your offer letter. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's, cool. that's a great tip. Yeah. Really good. Tip. And then play video games. Yes. <laughs> Baking team. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's fantastic. Okay. So as, as we round our, our podcast episode out, uh, we do want to finish at least with our signature question. And, and that is mm-hmm. if you could give us just one more thing, anything from either your personal experience, professional expertise, that could be something that families can institute rather easily for themselves at home uh, for some success. And it, it does not have to be around the topic of, of college or college savings or college finance, anything that you want. Sky's the limit. What, what would you offer? So, so I would say, you know, one of the, one of the best things about getting your planning stuff sorted early, you know, getting your savings set up and running, getting, you know, knowing what kinds of schools your kids are going to apply to, you know, having them understand what their budget is and what they're looking for is, it brings the college planning process from, you know, this massive, you know, basically everyone's second job for a year to a manageable task. And what's really great about that is that lets you be present for your child's junior and senior year of high school. So, you know, there's a lot of great moments in, in that last part, and it's really easy to get caught up in the future. And, you know, we know as parents, time flies when, you know, when it's, when you get to those last couple of years of high school, it's flying on a supersonic jet. And so the more you do ahead of time, the more opportunity you give yourself to be present for your child in, in, in their potentially last years at home. Mm. Wonderful. Yes. Excellent advice. So I know that folks are going to want to find you and I will put your links in the description, but could you also tell for anybody who's listening and has a pen nearby, how can they find you? Yeah, of course. Um, so my website is howtopayforcollege.com and I've got tons of college planning information there. And then my book is how to pay for college without the.com. I also have a Facebook page, college financial lady, where I have tons and tons of um, community and information and, and, and things like that. So any of those places are good places to, to find me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of your absolutely wonderful wisdom with us. We really do appreciate it and for taking your time out. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from my mom's podcast, please share it and leave a review so others can find us too. See you next time.